Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew 27, Matthew 27. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, it's page uh, 782, 782. Uh, man, so needed that song, just our singing this morning, so needed the text for today. I'll just say I'm really excited to uh, share this text with you. I'll tell you about that here in just a minute. Uh, it is just always a good reminder to remember what a blessing it is that we get to gather together and uh, lift high the name of Jesus and dive into his word together. And just even as you're turning there, kind of something special happening today, uh, actually happened earlier today, is, uh, has to do with um, Sunday mornings from eight or 9.30 to 10 a.m. on Moody Radio. Um, there's a, a, presently we call it Vertical Together um, radio program that uh, is now solely ours, actually. Uh, real quick on that, it was a couple years ago, uh, Moody, Central Indiana Moody Radio 97.9 approached us and said, hey, we want to talk with you and one other church uh, in Indianapolis up at Guy's Community about uh, would you guys be interested in each having a half an hour in the morning? We normally don't do this with local churches, but we're interested in doing that. We'd like to have two churches from Indianapolis and yours is one of them. And I'm like, I have never even met you before. And um, it was just an interesting thing. I ended up talking with uh, Brian and Brock at Indy North and Indy South about that. And we kind of said, hey, how about we share this as an opportunity together, both for our churches as well as the ministry expenses for it. And um, so we did. And uh, we got together here at the beginning of this year. And Brian and Brock both said, you know what, we actually think it would be better at this point if you guys just took it as kind of a, a, a soul church uh, grabbing a hold of it at this season of times. And uh, it was actually such a kind thing wanting for us to be able to uh, have that. And uh, so we said, okay, but we got to figure out how to pay for this. So it was shortly thereafter, I was talking with someone, not even from the West Side. Uh, they don't even go to our church right now and um, telling him about it. And, and this person said, uh, hey, I'll tell you what, how about I make up the difference for the next two years for you with that. And uh, so uh, this morning at 930, um, we started a series in Colossians uh, from a few years ago. So it's kind of past series broad. And I bring it to your attention just as God's working in, in crazy ways that we don't even know about. And also that you would be praying that God might use this as a way to encourage and draw people who maybe don't have a church home or are unchurched. And um, also with that, uh, just if you're sick or if you know of someone, uh, 9.30 on Sunday mornings, um, you can uh, join us as uh, we have sermons condensed. Uh, 27 minutes. Never did that before. <laughs> hey, grateful for, we've got uh, some lay people fully are, are handling all this, Luke and Brett and uh, Rob and Van have uh, kind of come alongside that in the past and are doing that. Grateful for what they're doing uh, with that. So we're here together and uh, in person, Matthew 27, and we get the, the joy of being able to 
dive into God's Word. And I don't know what uh, your week started out, both kind of mentally, spiritually for you. Uh, I just know my week, I started gassed out uh, after last weekend. By the way, thank you to so many for your very kind, encouraging emails uh, and, and words uh, following last Sunday. And if you weren't here last Sunday, you want to take a look at that. We're in the process of looking to uh, change our name, actually, for a number of reasons. And you can take a look at that. But uh, Monday was a tired day, and I would term it this way. Uh, Mondays are oftentimes, for it's known in preacher world, Mondays are weird days. And um, Monday, I don't take Mondays off because Karen doesn't want me home uh, on those days. <laughs> weird things happen no, with that. And so I'm, I'm Monday morning, I do my normal thing, was going to be coming into the office. I actually stopped that morning at Starbucks and was doing my studies and um, just in the text for the, the coming Sunday and getting started with that. And man, by mid-morning, I'm just stopped in my boots uh, at the time by the text for today. And in fact, I texted Karen. I said, uh, hey, I'm at Starbucks uh, doing my commentary reading for Sunday. Wow, so ministered to by Jesus' resolute calm in all the crazy noise that was going on around him. And it was like, how cool is it when God's word is just like what you need at the time? And what I was drawing out of that is I want that. I, I want some of that calm and what's going on. And so I had the pleasure of digging into that all week and working on this in my own life. And so here's what it is. Today is less about a sermon. Uh, today is more about just being able to share uh, from God's word here what's going on as we're moving and even just what the Lord's done in my life out of this text and what I've seen in it. So we're going to spend our time in Matthew 27. We're going to spend the last few minutes in Psalm 46 when we go there. But let's dive in here. And uh, so, Lord, I pray, uh, draw us to you. Show us your word, more of you in your name. Amen. Well, we are in 27. We are uh, between Gethsemane and the cross and the resurrection of the Great Commission. Uh, Christ is on his way to the cross. Next Sunday, we will be at the cross. And uh, what a Sunday. I believe that'll be from the text. Um, our summary sentence from last Sunday was people in your life will make decisions that affect your life and you will need to determine how to proceed with your life. And we saw that last Sunday with all these decisions being made around Jesus with uh, Judas's betrayal, with, with the Sanhedrin and all these decisions happening upon him. And, uh, and I'm going to add a sentence to that today. I wasn't planning on this, but out of it, here's the sentence I want to add. And how you proceed with your life tells the real story of your life. And how you proceed with your life tells the real story of your life. Listen, I think all of us in here, uh, at least my assumption is all of us are here because we want to grow in knowing who the Lord is. We want to uh, love him more, see him more, walk for him more, glorify him more, more of that in us, more of that in us. And, and we can say that, and, and yet so often our, our reality of that is something that is lived out, not just spoken, not just declared. And, and as we live that out, that really shows the real story of what's going on. So we're going to see all this noise taking place. Uh, let's put the image up on the center screen. I just, at this time, I like to have kind of these funkified images up. It just takes us back. Pictures preach. Uh, here Jesus is around the crowd before Pilate. And uh, all this noise, all this activity, all this yelling, 
all this confusion that's going on. This is a noisy, noisy scene in Scripture. And in it all, Jesus has this crazy, resolute calmness. And let's see it. Let's hear the noise and let's see the calm. So verses 1 and 2, it really sets the stage and kind of catches us up with where we're at. Uh, when morning came, by the way, morning, this is in, the, in their day, uh, in the Middle East, uh, when the sun comes up, you, you want to get at it right away because you don't have electricity at night. Uh, also, the heat of the day, so you want to get going as soon as possible. And so oftentimes, uh, mornings began like 5 a.m., uh, at the time, so this is very early morning. It also reminds us we had just gone through a whole evening in the text with chaos and just a big sham that's going on with, uh, with setting Christ up for his crucifixion. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and they led him away and delivered him over uh, to Pilate, to governor. Uh, to the governor. And uh, uh, just a couple comments. Uh, so what's going on here is we have this kind of final official ecclesiastical uh, gathering of all the dignitaries. Uh, this is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin in that day, think of our Supreme Court, but a lot more on it. There are 71 people uh, and comprising the Sanhedrin in the Supreme Court. Uh, in Israel at the time, there would also be lower courts. They would be comprised of 23 lay people throughout the country in various areas that would try cases and various things. Uh, we have here in, in the time, it was required that it took a, a 23 was a minimum required to kind of, if you will, form a quorum for a capital case. So it could be that all 71 are there. It could be that uh, not all 71 are there, but enough are there to kind of make some final decrees in this gathering. Uh, they bind Jesus, which is so interesting because nowhere do we find Jesus ever fighting back. But that's just the way uh, it is. Uh, they let him away and they deliver him over. Uh, by the way, I'll just note that's the first of three times we'll see it in the text for today. Deliver him over. And here's the interesting thing about it. From a human standpoint, they delivered him over. From a biblical uh, God standpoint, he was delivering himself over the whole time. He had already settled it in Gethsemane that this is what's going to go down and he's on his way. And so whatever all the noise is going on, a sovereign God is at work. Let me just say that one more time. Because all of us need to grab a hold of it. No matter all the noise and the activity going on, a sovereign God is at work. And he is taking things where he wants them to be taken. And uh, sometimes it's really hard. It's really hard in that. Pilate, he's the governor, it says. It's kind of a prefect in that day. Uh, when Rome came and would take over a territory like they did over Israel and over these regions, they would put an individual, uh, a Roman individual, over that territory. Uh, it wasn't so much like a governor like we have today. It was more they were just managing it. Know that this person did not like the people. They were an annoyance. Uh, Pilate actually was not a soft, cuddly dude. Um, we kind of see some sweet things in the text from him. But know this, he also did some pretty rough, harsh things to the Israelite. They didn't get along. And part of the reason is because uh, they annoyed him and he annoyed them. And that usually doesn't turn into a good relationship. Right? 
you know, when you're both annoying each other. And so that was the setting of the day. The vibe that's going on, I wrote down some things on the whole here with the Sanhedrin. There's been this frantic activity all night. There's been scheming. There's been abusing. There's been posturing. There's been breaking laws. There's been this welcoming of liars to the table. And it's all wrapped up in this self-counsel. Uh, pouring chaos out onto other people. And frankly, they're just a proud, arrogant, selfish group. And they're spiritual frauds. And what they are doing shows the reality of what's going on in their own heart. And this is what's happening. What you do shows who you really are. Uh, Let's keep reading. We meet Judas again. Verse 3, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, to the Sanhedrin, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? These, these, these guys are so cuddly, aren't they? They're just so thoughtful. Um, how sad. What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. What a sad ending for Judas. But uh, here's this pain and this guilt that is just overwhelming him. He comes to this point and it's like, how did I get to this point? How did I make these sinful choices? And he's realizing that what he thought was going to bring him value ends up not bringing him the value he had hoped. Is that not oftentimes a story of what the world offers? Really, this will bring you hope, this will bring you delight, and then you get there and you're like, you know what, it's actually not quite as delightful as this fact it's not even necessarily all that marvelous as I thought. And uh, that's Judas. He's overwhelmed with his bad decisions. And so Judas makes a bad decision on top of all his bad decisions. And that final bad decision was his suicide. He's lost in all the noise. And so he makes the decision to continue his bad thinking into a final bad decision of killing himself. Two things just about Judas I'll note here, uh, kind of observation. One is it's in the whole movement of the story. While Jesus is essentially in the process of giving his life up for others, Judas is stuck in himself. It's all about himself. Judas is all about himself. And by the way, let's be very careful. Watch our own hearts because this is not true. We can be all about ourselves. Every day it's a battle. Every day it's a battle. And in this, Judas just gets down to a point to where it's all about himself. Jesus is all about other people. It's an amazing contrast. By the way, the second thing is, is instead of Judas uh, ending face down, hanging on a tree, what if Judas would have gone face down and repented before the Lord? Could he have? Yeah, I think he could have. By the way, imagine the story if Jesus, even in the betrayal, throws the coins and actually before hanging himself, decides to throw himself down before God and repent of his sin. By the way, we live in a day and age where so many churches and so many teachers uh, kind of uh, don't want to use the word repent because it sounds so harsh or people might think you're mean. I just want to tell you this. Without the word repentance, there is no hope. 
And when we soften the reality of repentance, we actually lose hope. Friends, repentance is the greatest reality known to mankind because it is in repentance that there is hope. When people repent, God responds with hope. And yet we oftentimes are declaring a message of no repentance, just feel bad. Hey, that's 2 Corinthians 6, that's worldly grief, not godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And here, what if Judas truly would have repented? I mean, I think of David, David, a follower of Yahweh. David sinned big. I don't know if you know that, but he did. He did some big sins, including ordering the murder of his overnight fling's husband. David was a murderer, and yet God used him. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul uh, uh, called for the death of Christians, by the way, including women and children. And if we're going to see here in a while, and as we go through the latter half of the year, through the latter part of the book of Acts, uh, God used Paul. Uh, another one I can think of is Peter. I mean, Peter, <laughs> Peter has bad aim, but he tries to skewer the chief priest's servant in Gethsemane. What's my point? He was trying to go for life and take it out. He didn't care who. And Peter also denied Christ three times. And yet, uh, if I have my understanding of Scripture right, God used Peter greatly. It could have been Judas too. You know, a lot of people name their children David and Paul and Peter. Uh, no one names their child Judas. But it could have been had he re repented. Hey, loved ones, I, I, part of this in the whole story of it is I just want for you to know, I don't know where you are, where you've been. I don't know, maybe, maybe you're stuck in some really bad, sinful decisions that you've been carrying out. I just want for you to know this. There is a God who welcomes your repentance and he will love you and redeem you and forgive you. You are not hopeless. Morris comments, there's nothing to indicate an exercise of piety by Judas, only a reckless desire to repudiate his evil. Judas was remorseful rather than repentant. Judas was 2 Corinthians 6, worldly sorrow, has the tears and the grief and the hurt over what was done and you feel bad about it, but it's not a, a godly grief that leads to repentance and to change. He, he responded by his bad decision with the final bad decision. Instead of repentance, instead of tragedy, Judas' story could have been one of great glory for the Lord in the end. We're back to the Sanhedrin. Let's keep reading verse 6. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. I'm just going to tell these guys are a bunch of crocs. Um, these guys are just a bunch of fakes. It's so ironic. Here they go, and they use money to give to Judas to betray Jesus. Judas comes back, gives the money to him, and now they're thinking, how do we use this rightly? 
Is that not like just what a crock in it all? And yet they're okay with this. And so they go and they buy this potter's field. They're not quite sure where that is or, or what that is, but it could have been the guy's name. I'm sure his first name was not Harry, but it, it could have been Mr. Potter's field. But the other option in it is, is it could be that it was actually kind of the type of soil that was there was a place that they dug up clay, if you will, to make pottery with. And after they mine it for a while, it kind of runs out and they don't know what to do with it. And so they sell it. So in this, you know, they're trying to be all self-righteous and buy this piece of ground for whatever the case was so that they can bury you know aliens bury the strangers in it and kind of like give this good vibe off and but I'll just say this their actions tell the real story of what's going on in their own hearts spiritual frauds friends sometimes we can get caught up in our own spiritual fraudness it's happening here let's be careful let's watch our hearts let's guard ourselves Let's help each other. There's some verses there referring to the Old Testament. I'm not going to read them for time and just spend the time. It's the type of thing. I'll just say it this way. What God said would happen, happened. And by the way, know this. What God has said will happen, it will happen. Bank on it. It will happen. Let's pick up verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, that's Pilate, and Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Such an interesting statement. It's interesting because if you know, if you will, the rest of the story, you also know that posted above his name on the cross is going to be this title. In it also, this is kind of a, the big concerning question for Pilate. Pilate is there to, to keep these people within bounds because Rome wants their tax and, and money and, and to just uh, use them. And yet in it, they don't want anyone rising up to cause a stir and so he's asking him, are you king of the Jews? Clearly he's heard that terminology going on. He's asking about it. And so Jesus said, you have said so. It's, again, I've mentioned this. He's already used it a few times. It, it's not really a full yes, and it's not really a full no. He's just kind of, I would say it this way. The Lord knows that it doesn't matter what Pilate does. He's going to the cross. He said it five times before Gethsemane, exactly what's going to down. He settled the issue with the Father in Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will. And he's off to the cross. And it really doesn't matter what Pilate thinks. It really doesn't matter what he asks. The fact is he's going to the cross. Let's keep reading. And he's, You have said so, uh, but uh, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that Pilate was greatly amazed. Now understand, this is in, in the judicial process of the day, the, the convicted one, if you will, the one who's put on the stand, stands before the governor stands before Pilate, and this is actually part of the judicial process. This is kind of the time for the governor who makes the decision to hear from the one being put on the, on the, before him. And Jesus doesn't say a word other than you have said so. And Pilate's like, dude, do you not get what's going on here? This is your opportunity to, to, to make a statement to get out of this because I am about to declare death to you. This is crazy. I don't know about you, but 
if uh, times where people say hard things about you or hurtful things about you, and I'm not thinking anything particular, but just in life, and times when people do that, is that there just something within you that just wants to love them back? (laughs) There's just something in us that wants to, even if it's just kindly, make a defense, make a case. Usually, it has a little bit more fire to it than that. And yet here, Jesus is standing before Pilate. This is his chance. And I, I would be like, oh, yeah, Pilate, here, I got my, thir- my, my 32 points here to be able to communicate to you on why I'm innocent and why this is all a sham and a fraud. And Jesus is just calm, resolute. I, I don't think defiant. He just knows he's going to the cross. This is stunning to me. Because I know my own heart. We all know our own hearts, and to do that, I sit here and I just go, I want to be more like that. I think we want to be more like that. We're all the noise of activity of life. And yet there is a calm resolute. Not to where it doesn't matter, not to where it doesn't hurt. Because actually in this, Jesus felt every hit, every pain. And yet, calm resolute to the cross, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. They had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. By the way, it's, he was famous. He was known uh, as kind of a rebel, uh, potentially a, a governing uh, terrorist would potentially nowadays be a word. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? The terrorist or Jesus who is called Christ? It's interesting what, what, if I can note here, I don't know exactly what's going on in Pilate's head, but I will say this, the way Matthew condenses everything, that's just what Matthew does, and here he has this, uh, Pilate's like, uh, do you want Barabbas? Or do you want Jesus? But he doesn't end just say Barabbas and Jesus, he says Jesus who is called the Christ. By the way, who is it that is calling him Christ? Those who are calling him Christ are actually part of the very people who are the ones shouting for his death. Some of their own people, some of their own people are the very ones who are seeking to declare his death. Are the ver- they are the very ones who are calling him the Messiah. And I don't know what's, if it's just happening, but it's kind of like, here's Barabbas, boo, and it's kind of like, uh, Pilate's like, and here's Jesus. By the way, some of your own people are calling him the Messiah. And, and just the way he's addressing this is interesting. Verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Pilate knew what was going on. He knew what was going on and what was happening. Verse 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. Husbands, listen up. And wives... This is your moment of sheer delight. In the setting, the wife actually could not go and interrupt the meeting. 
But she was allowed to send word, and she did, and sent word saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, Jesus, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. In all of the noise, in all of the activity that's going on, may I remind us that God is at work. And all of the people yelling, and all of the people in a tither, and all of the people staying up all night long, Here the Son of God is standing before these people for the glory of the Father and the Spirit of God is at work in the night. While all the chaos is going on in this woman giving her a nightmare about the Son of God standing and she so much so that she warns her husband don't have anything to do with him in this. Watch yourself, be careful in this. Husbands, listen to your wives. Hey wives, I'm I'm for you. Sometimes we go through life and in all the noise and the chaos of it, we wonder if God is at work. And he is. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never checks out. He is never disinterested. He is never distracted. He is never without knowing. He is never without purpose. It just happens to be that it may not be our purpose. He is always, always, always at work that someone, somehow around. Cling to that. Verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Can you just see the conniving in the crowd? The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. What a low value of life. What a low value of life. That someone that is even maybe just an annoyance, that someone maybe just who is cramping their style and getting in their way, How is it that mankind can get to a place to where it becomes okay to then destroy that life that is an annoyance? Are you hearing me? And in it all, in their low value of life, what is happening? Christ is going to the cross to save life. Verse 23, and he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Brutality. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, he's a frustrated prefect. Rather than having a riot begin, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. And he raised for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus. By the way, it's really, it's really easy to read by those couple words really fast. Like, oh, I feel so sorry for Jesus for getting whipped and hurt. Listen, uh, friends, I, I just, the brutality that's taking place in those two words, they scourged Jesus, is beyond comprehension. 
he's taking on himself what we should get. And they delivered him over to be crucified. By the way, just a comment on Pilate here before we finish out of the text here. It's interesting that Pilate somehow has this reasoning in his mind that he's innocent. That's such a false truth. Because if it was not for Pilate's declaration for Christ to be crucified, he couldn't be crucified. It was structured so that the Israelites, they they could bring a case, but they could not uh, uh, finalize a, a death sentence. Only Rome could, and Pilate was that guy in Rome's place. Only Pilate could do it. And so Pilate here is doing what mankind can so often do in their own false thinking of, of making themselves not guilty of their own guilt. And conniving in their mind that, no, really, I'm okay. And he thinks this idea that he can somehow explain away his innocence, but the truth of the matter is that Pilate is guilty. He is guilty of declaring this. And this is just one more insight into the heart of, of us, of mankind, that we can think our way into righteousness. And the truth of the matter is, is there's only one way into righteousness, and that's through repentance. And that's through seeing our guilt and seeing our sin and our depravity and coming to a God who has paid the price for that and makes it available for all who would receive him. Not by works, Ephesians 2, but by the gift of the Lord. And all who would receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. Watch our hearts, watch our minds. Let's finish out with section I'll, I'll pick up on next Sunday as well. Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. The story going on all around is absolute chaos. Noise beyond noise. It's chaos, it's abuse, it's hatred, it's warring, it's using people, it's seeing people as disposable, it's using people as pawns, it's a mob mentality, it's about pain thrusting, noise making, death bringing. It's chaos all around. And that's what sin has brought on our world. All this noise is taking place. Don't you just get tired of all the noise? All the noise outside and all the noise inside. And yet in the very center of all the chaos, in the very center of all the noise is Jesus. And the story of Jesus is so opposite of the story of what's happening around him. And the story that's happening is this quiet resolve that is deafening. 
and yet know this, in it he felt every hateful word. He felt every skin-tearing pull of the whip. He felt every muscle-crushing strike of fists. He felt every drop of blood pouring down his face, down his arms, down his torso, down his legs. He felt the crown scraping through his skin, rubbing against his skull. He felt every piece of it. And sometimes I and we think that the calm should mean that everything around is fluffy bunnies. And yet what's going on is Jesus is quiet and this deafening quietness is going through this hell being unleashed on him with a calm resolute. Man, I want that in my life. I want more of that. And that's how That's how this week I walked away. I just want more of that in my life. I want more of that for us. Just a sense of God has this. There's a calm resolute into chaos. Not perfect people, not always on track, but pressing ahead. And I ask myself, so how do I do that? Would you turn to Psalm 46, please? Let me finish here. Psalm 46. And it's like Psalm 46 comes to mind. And I would say it this way, Jesus was living out Psalm 46. Here's a text this week I just want to implore to you, I want to encourage of you that you would take this text this week and you would just pour yourself into it and let it pour itself on you. Let me just read through with a few comments. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. a very present help in trouble. Comment. It's not a very distant help. It's a very present help. Oh, and by the way, it's not the help to get me out of trouble. It's the help in the trouble. You see, we want God to be the, the, the wand taking us out of every struggle and heartache. James chapter 1, God wants us to endure through that we would be matured and complete. Listen, in heaven, parte. Until then, we live in a war. But God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble now. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Like, that's some big deals. Though, it, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. That is so our world, friends. 
he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is what? With us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. By the way, that means that you and I are not the fortress. He is. So if I can just honestly say, let's stop trying to be fortresses. Just cut the game. Let's stop trying to be the tough dudes and the tough dudettes. And let's let him be the fortress. And then come, behold the works of the Lord. You see, that's what has to happen a thousand times a day. That's what it is. It's like, in, in, in the chaos, come, behold, behold, see, look, consider the works of the Lord. In this moment, right now, chaos all around, chaos in my own head, stop How he has brought desolations on the earth. How he makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spears. He, he burns the chariots with fire. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Be still and know that I am God. By the word, the word for be still in the Hebrew, it just means stop. It's just like in it, we just have to have these thousand stop moments. Wait, my, my, head's getting, my head's going somewhere. It's stop. It means, it means to have this uh, sense of, uh, of cease striving. It means to stop fighting. I like this. It means to snap out of it. <laughs> it's like in right when it's all going on and I'm, my head's starting to go to bad places and I'm starting to think bad things and, and I'm starting just to get, it's like snap out of it. Snap out of it. And know, not wonder, not hope, know that I am God. By the way, and that includes knowing that you and I are not. God will be exalted among the nations. God will be exalted in the earth. I don't know what God is doing in this moment. I don't know what is taking place. I don't even know where it's all going. But I do know this. God is going to be glorified in it because he's God. Because he's at work in ways I don't even know, including even giving her a nightmare. In the last verse, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so, Lord, we cry out and call out for help. We are weak. We are frail. We struggle. We need your help. We live in a world where there's chaos going all around us, and frankly, there's even chaos going on in us. And yet you promise, we sang about it earlier, we hold to the promises that you give, and you promise that you are here in it. And Lord, we need to make adjustments in our goals and our objectives. Because so often we see you and we behold you as the God who is the one who is to come in and to make everything wonderful and smooth and easy. But instead, Lord, you are the one who steps in and helps us through it. So, Father, I pray would the Spirit of God do a work amongst us, in our heads, in our thinking, that we would be increasingly a people 
who stops, who snaps out of it, and positions our thinking upon who you are and what you have done. God, in our fear, help us to look to you. God, I pray for the person in this room who maybe right now is in just absolute chaos of life. It's heavy, it's hard, they're tired, they're worn out. Are you encourage them right now? They are not alone. Their fortress is near. You're an awesome God. Help us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.